make sure I'm not recording. I'm going to open us in a word of prayer this morning. Father God, we just love you so, so much. And Lord, as we've just opened and shared, um, is that we acknowledge, Father, the, the great value, the treasure of your word. And Father, it is such a great, great privilege to be uh, entrusted with just this time of fellowship here, to be entrusted with your word and to be students of it. And so we just do pray, as always, that your spirit will just um, awaken us to the significance of this, that we would be discerning of the false teaching and the motives that are behind it, and that through all and all that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, to his second coming and judgment, but also eternity, and that we would praise you in the fullness of worship. And so I just do pray your spirit will superintend and guide us through these closing verses of Second Peter and for the rich, rich blessing that we've had uh, to share in it. And we just commit this to you and to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you open up your, your Bibles to Second Peter, and as we do close this out, the Second Peter outline, we are closing out chapter 3 in this outline, and we've been sharing this chart for the past few weeks as far as it being uh, laid out for us. And as we are closing out in these last verses from 11 through 18, we last week we started with verses 11 through 14, and, and today we'll, we will uh, resume with verses 15 through 18. So to open up our time together, because someone would like to just open us up with the reading of 2 Peter 3, verses 11 and 18. You can read it from your Bible or from here, which is the New, New American Standard Version. Thank you, Sam. What, what we've, we've seen in our focus, that Peter's focus and attention for us, primarily in the last two chapters, chapters 2 and 3, has been on this understanding of our promise for the second coming of Christ, this day of the Lord in which he is dealing with the false teachers that specifically refute or deny this second coming in its reality, and primarily for the very purpose is that they, which we, we've looked at the study, which brings judgment to them, themselves, I mean all non-believers, but in itself is that they're trying to deny that, this ultimate destruction, and so therefore the focus on their teaching has been essentially on the things that they want to teach, the things that they are that please them, the things that um, are more meaningful. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> Many times that's what we're seeing in the church today, and as we kind of look at for some application of things, is what are some of those things that we see that are not being the focus of attention. And so as we go through these last four or five verses here in chapter 3, our objective is to understand that Scripture plays this vital role in the life of every believer. And Peter is going to exhort us to never cease from focusing the attention on his word. For what we know already is that these false teachers are going to arise and will seek to distort the Scriptures. They will try to twist the scriptures to teach something vastly different from the intended meaning in the Bible 
And finally, to be on guard, to pursue godliness and spiritual growth and worship. And to live this life in the light of, it, of the reality of Christ's return. And so this focus of the importance of Scripture will be the first part of it, which we see this in the first opening verses where he again tells us uh, and acknowledges Paul in a, somewhat of a, um, an endorsement of Paul in his teaching. And then this looking specifically at, we'll look at today some of the things about those that twist Scripture their destruction, and then this final exhortation as he closes out the last few verses that basically says, be on guard. And the, we'll, we'll talk about, well, what does that look like? How do you, well, how do we prepare ourselves for these false teachers? And so as we open up this, Peter, in chapter 3, he focuses on two main points that what we've been talking about. And so by looking in general at, at chapter 3 there, if you're open to it, as he started off, and Nathan started this chapter several weeks ago, where he said, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by a way of reminder. And so he is going through this. He goes on through this when he starts talking about our conduct, sliding on down the first few verses of there, as far as, therefore, verse 11, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? And so, if a person, and this is sort of a, a, like a rhetorical type of question, that if a person really, truly believes that Jesus Christ is coming again, will it not have a dramatic impact on their lives and what we do? You know, again, think about that question. If you truly, really believe that Jesus is coming, will it not cause some type of effect? In other words, in this case, it should be a dramatic type of effect, is really what Peter is, is getting at in here, and which will, in his descriptions, as he relates to this aspect of spotless and blamelessness in other words from a standpoint is what we're doing. So he starts off in chapter uh, 2 verse 3 chapter 3 I mean we pick up in verse 14. Therefore so he has just described this day of the Lord nevertheless in verse 13 we according to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Remember this looking for is this forward it is with expectation. And so it is looking forward, and it says, to these things. And the things that he's referring to are what? Right? Which are described his second coming, right? And in that second coming is really, there's two things that are going to occur. And that is the deliverance of the believer as well as the judgment to the wicked. So it is this looking forward to his second coming and these two types of things that are going to occur. In, in this case, the judgment of the wicked, but also the judgment of the world. So he places this emphasis on this passion for holiness of life. And this passion is really what is this driving outflow. It is this outworking that we're, we've been talking about that he's stated in these, these opening verses, in verses 11, it is to be, the notes, what should be our response? 
we ought to be holy in conduct in godliness. This looking for, this hastening of the day of the Lord, of, 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 of God. Which again, the, we, we talked last week about this difference between the day of the Lord and potentially this day of God. The difference there is day of Lord being described primarily as judgment. And yet the day of God is ultimately the eternity. It is this deliverance of the believer. And how he even ends this whole chapter by talking about to him be the glory both now and forever. And again, this in eternity, this focus. I think, I think the church at large has um, done itself a disservice by suggesting, here's a suggestion all the time, let's not get caught up in the future. Wow, right? and that, that really flies in the face of all of this. It really is like, if you don't have a fundamental, clear understanding of what is yet to Oh. According to Peter, you won't have a passion for hope. You won't have a desire to want to be spotless. You won't live in godliness. You won't be diligent to do these things. I mean, it's just if you put the reverse to it, it that's that's really what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that is part of our our challenge in the church today. Like we've lost the perspective of what heaven is and what what, what is yet to come. And as a result, we are not, you know discipline ourselves to this end. It, it, it's exactly right, because when he, when he gets into this, um, this diligence, just to be diligent, that's effort. And, and look at the contrast, because when he says that he places this emphasis on spotless and blameless and holy conduct and godliness, and that, remember, in chapter 2, verse 13, was exactly the opposite of those false teachers. Look at the description in Second Peter 2, verse 13. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness. Those who count it a pleasure to carouse in the daytime, they are spots and blemishes, which is the opposite of spotless and in blamelessness. Now, we're not perfect by any means, but yet it is this pursuit that we have in our lives of this spotlessness, this blamelessness in our 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 conduct itself, and it is this that we're revealing. So, through this, he places this emphasis on that conduct and reveals that this is to be a driving passion in the hearts. Just as you described that. That's what's driving us. And this word of the diligence, it's, it really is a very, it's a, a forceful, it's a hard word. It means a forceful type of command in itself. And it's like this zeal or the passion. You can ref- put any f- that you in there they have. In the Second Peter chapter one verse five, remember Second Peter chapter one verse five. He wrote, "For also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly love." brotherly kindness. And so we see this building of this, but yet this is what giving all diligence in this and this power to do this in verse 3 has been given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. It is from God through the knowledge of Him. So the true believer, and really in a nutshell, the true believer, that's what it looks like. It should be this driving passion towards that. And I agree. That's what, like, a closing question is: is how we, you know, what drives us, and what we're going to see in the culture today in this world is, is that what is constantly being pressured, pressuring us in going against that. So that, therefore, it's we're almost too busy. And what Peter's going to get to is is that this passion for the lost, 
is what he's going to get into this place, of which we're saying, nah, you know, I'm kind of busy today, but maybe tomorrow. So as a believer, we have this passion for the uh, salvation for the lost. Peter, this is a, a consistent theme that we see here. He makes it very clear that he's provided this time of leading right now today to the return of Christ the time for salvation. Looking at, going back here, Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack in concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in verse 15, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And so, this is this time of salvation. It is this time of God's grace. It is this gracious invitation that is extended there. And I love John chapter 4. We're not going to read all of John chapter 4, but this is the chapter of the, of the Samaritan woman. Okay? But there are some interesting takeaways from that that I believe are noteworthy to just grab a hold of. Go to John chapter 4. And just looking at the last couple of verses, but we'll, we can go back to the context of this in chapter 34, 32 to 34. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white with for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And, and the actual, the parallel part of that, you know, Matthew chapter 9, verses 36, this is the passage that says that the harvest is plentiful, but the, the workers are few. So now, when you just look at the ending of, of what Jesus is saying as far as that my food is to do the will of Him. Go back and just skim through. Look, look at the, the passage. We understand this is the woman at the well, right? The disciples were focused on the wrong thing. They were focused on Jesus taking in food and stuff. They were worried about the tangible things. And what He was focused on when He approached this woman is that I got water, living water for you. The very closing words of Scripture, very closing words, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him we hear say, Come, and let him we thirst come. Revelation 22, verse 17. And at the end, he says, He who testifies to these, these things, Christ says, I am coming quickly. Here's the point is that Jesus is saying, is that what is the greatest importance in John 4? What's more important than anything else? To do God's will, which is? To leave others to Christ. He says, they're ready for the harvest. I, uh, believe it or not, I did grow up in the country. Um, I don't quite look like a country boy, but I was. And we had, um, back, we had our backyard, there was, uh, we had all cornfields, okay? And it was corns and beans, you know how they rotate. Um, So, Anyway, I would know, you know, you'd watch, you grow up, I always watch the corn grow, the beans grow, and, you know, you, you play in the fields. 
and then as you get older, you hit golf balls in the field, you know. So, but when um, the thing was is that I always knew when it was harvest time because things it was dry it was ready for the harvest. And you know what always intrigued me was that when it was harvest time, is that those farmers in that field they worked twenty four seven. They never stopped working because I would like just watch them and you'd see the combines moving and I just was in, totally consumed into this as a little boy. And yet that harvest was the example in scripture that you were saying in here that the harvest is ready. And so therefore, it's like saying, Christ is saying, it's like, like those farmers, nothing else matters. That becomes the priority, and I'm going to do it until it's done. And so this is this time right now, is that the harvest is plentiful, is what Jesus is clearly telling us in this time of grace that we're, we live in now, currently. And so therefore, we need to have a very similar mindset, as Christ saying, to do the will of the Father. In other words, disciples, it's not about the food. You got it all wrong. I know you're concerned for me, but it's to do the will of the Father. Hey, question. Alright, so with that, like, I think there's something that's been kind of hard recently. Is like, I feel like are some people just who plant seeds, God uses just the plant seeds, and then there's other certain people who like, who just the people that kind of he uses to, or whether it's himself, like, to kind of harvest, you know? But like, is there just some people specifically... Yeah, I, mean, just, I do. Because like, I'm saying in my life, like, I don't, like, I'll be honest with you, like, I don't really know... I can't name you a person that, like, I'm, like, led to Christ, I guess, or, like, personally, like that, but, like, I, like maybe it's just planted seeds or something, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not the intentional part, but, like, maybe the seed's planting, and then I kind of, sometimes I'm like, man, that stinks. Like, I can't really name a person right now, and I feel like that's what we're, our purpose is to be doing, but, like, you know, maybe it's just me and the way to just, like, plant seeds and just show love or whatever it is, you know? Like, well, what's the passage in Acts? We have to be careful. It's not our plan. It's his plan. Yeah. And... While we may not be able to name him, he probably can. Yeah. That either the way you lived your life, a word you spoke, could have progressed someone toward a saving passion. It's uh, what's the the Acts verse? You know, uh, Paul, Paul and Apollos, um, one watered, the other planted the seed, um, and I think that that's exactly right. Here's the way I'll rephrase it: Is that be an instrument? Yeah, Let the Holy, you know, you're an instrument of the Holy Spirit. God's going to do do the work, and this is this availability to do it, because often you pray for the opportunity, and you had the opportunity. Be, you know, some would say is is that what is the opportunity? The opportunity is any non-believer that you're with. Yeah. Well, it's it's more like the reaffirming, like the harvest is reaffirming to the the, the farmer that he did a good job. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of like, we're like, not my concern, but like, we're like, I was like, kind of maybe like having that. Maybe it was a struggle. I don't know. But like, just that, that's where you see your affirmation that you're doing good work and that God is using you is that the harvest. And if like you're a person who's always planning, it's there, like, he's using you, which is great. But it's just like, I just don't even know what I'm using this for. Go ahead. I just tell you, just to hold back my mouth a little bit, just to have other people. Look, at some point, encountered a division in the pathway. We chose one path where we could have chosen. One path is very easy. It leads downward. Very easy path. The other path leads up 
It's a difficult path. But if we stay focused on the objective, it's easier. And it's even easier if we invite others to come along and hold our hand as we're traversing the path. Or we invite others to come either by, by word, by deed, by any means. We're each a little easier on the pathway. Build on that, you know, your passage in John 4 says, says uh, already he who reaps wages is gathering fruit for eternal life. That he who sows and he who sows together. The outcome is that all who are involved in this process, because God is, all we can do is control two things. One is our 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 attitude towards how we're viewing this, and two is that we work hard to this end. And God's the only one that grew or harvest. And great news is that all who labored in the process will experience joy. Hmm. Um, will be just uh, It's just all those things. It, it really describes what the church is, is to be about. You know, we need to be uh, instruments, and really, this this clear set. We, we we need to be settled. It starts with us, but we need to be settled to those truths, to the, that promise, that hope. To say, okay, he's coming, and so therefore, that wells up this sense of urgency. And yet, to say, I don't know what it looks like, but yet to be subject to this God's working. And in, in, uh, I think that's been articulated real well. Because this this perspective is so important to define success in our life. Like, how do you define sex? For itself, even. Like, it's about, like, you know, mm-hmm. you know but God be the one to I am only... Well, as he transitions us, going back to Second Peter, where he says again, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. So this is this pursuit of the lost. And in... Peter, he supports his message. He supports his message by reminding the readers that this is the very, very same thing that you've already heard from Paul. So what he gets at, and this is where I I opened this up, is that he, in verse 13, where he says that this is, that consider the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. That is the goal. In other words, that is God's pursuit of man you know, through Christ. And he is saying, As our also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So this is this, and I'll refer to it as really an unashamedly referring to Paul as our beloved brother. The one who has this special wisdom from God. So what is this, what is... Peter's purpose. Remember, green is go for discussion. So, what is Peter's purpose in mentioning Paul in this manner? What are your thoughts to open up? And I have a few bullet points, as you can see there, that we can identify. Like what we were just talking about. Paul was a sower in Peter's economy. Paul was patient. Good, bad. Like, it's not, it's like God chooses to do what he does, and that whatever bears that harvest, that salvation. The paths, of, the paths of these two individuals, Peter and Paul, were different in many ways. But yet to acknowledge that, we have to recognize that. And I, it, it believes a merit for us to look at it because what I want us to take have as a key takeaway to this is that it's not about the fact, going back to what you were saying, Squall, as far as saying, you know, 
I'm trying to, we're trying to get how many, when, how many people, you know, how many you got so far? I got, you know, I got 10. How many you got? You're, you're, at, you're at nine, you know, so let's get going here. I'm going to go out and, and we're competing. The, there's an aspect of competition that, unfortunately, it, it was resident with many of these disciples. You know, I'm, I'm in awe of, you know, Peter in chapter, uh, in John 21, you know. Jesus, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. And then at the end of the third time, what does he say? About him. He's worried about John. You know, he's, he's well, what, what about him? What's going to happen with John? Maybe Peter is not the only one warning his readers. Paul did it too. Let, let's start with that, because I think that's critical, Marlene, to open it up. And I'm just going to give us a few just to kind of just talk with Here's a question. Were his readers aware of the public rebuke of Peter by Paul? Okay, here, here's the proof. Go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us. Uh, that's 2 Peter. That's a good verse too. First Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So, what do you know already? Who, who did he write to in this letter? First Peter, to to the Galatians, right? And in the, the reference of this is in Galatians chapter two, verses eleven. Galatians two, starting in verse eleven. Where it said, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I, this is Paul, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So it's just a question. Is that, in other words, he mentions Paul. So what I know is is that that his letter, first and second Peter, they went to the very same churches. So this is my way of paraphrasing it, saying Peter saying Paul was right. I don't know that. I'm just you know making a connection because if I'm at the church in Galatia and remember where this is where this is happening and, and um, just go with me on this. What are the two paths? Let's, let's start talking about the differences between the two paths. One is a path of, of Paul and a path of, of... So where does it start? What do you know about Peter in the Gospels? Describe Peter in the Gospels to me. A couple of examples. Okay? Primary ministry appears to be Jerusalem. Okay, to the Jews, Jerusalem. What was, what was his ranking amongst the disciples? He was in the inner three. Specifically, there were three. There were three main um, inner circle experiences: we, the Transfiguration. There was um, Jairus's uh, daughter. The, there, he went into Jairus's house, and the Gethsemane. So there were. There were. I'm just saying these are like three examples. So without question, he was in this inner circle that we have here. We see, obviously, this. This messaging, this gospeling to the Jews primarily in Jerusalem. Okay, so from that is that now take 
Peter from the Gospels. Now take him into Acts with me. Describe Peter in the opening, at least the first eight chapters of, of Acts. Key spokesman, right? It's obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. He is, right, I mean, he's the defender of the faith. He is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Very bold going through that. Then what happens around chapter 9? Paul becomes front and center. It's almost like from chapter 9 on, right? It's primarily Paul. We see in chapter 10 of Acts where there Peter's vision of Cornelius, which was interesting to me because he being this preacher to the, to the, to the Jews, the, the gospel of the Jews, to now you have Paul, this gospel to the Gentiles. And yet, maybe there were, you know, the Holy Spirit in verse chapter 10, I can't ignore the fact is that clearly it's a reaffirming of Paul's ministry, even himself. But prior to that, you, what you see in the opening verses of this uh, in, in Acts is that you see Paul's increase while Peter decreases. It's kind of like John the Baptist of Jesus in a way, isn't it? You know, it's sort of that type of, in those ministries. There was a conflict. We know that the, the conflict existed, and I'm not real getting technical into this, but there were these, uh, these native Jews that were in contrast to these Hellenistic Jews. In other words, as, as a result of the dispersion after, after Stephen, you know, they're out, they're gone, and you have these Jews that have been dispersed, and they were influenced by this, they were Hellenistic Jews, by those cultures. And so they became in contrast. And so what you see at the heart of this conflict in Galatians 2 is that. It is this reverting back of even Peter to these native Jews and traditions of the law and legalism and not associating with these Gentile Jews even. You know, these, and these, these Hellenistic Jews, I, mean, I meant to say. So that, this conflict started occurring so what, am I, what are we getting at? Is that clearly in Scripture, if you follow the paths of these two men, there were two distinct paths that God was using. But to bridge these together in a way that Peter is saying is that, look, this whole letter is all about false teachers, and he's not one of them. Because earlier, if you remember, in Second Peter... What he, actually, it was, it was 2 Peter chapter 3, where he talked about these, um, these men having the promise. In other words, having the word, and that they were um, assured. Um, I'm trying to find the verse. Here it is in chapter 3. Beloved, I, I write to you now this, this, to stir you up by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, comma, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days. So he's saying is that the us in this situation, and Peter is saying it is us, it is the apostles, which includes Paul. So Paul as an apostle, he was chosen by the Lord. So this affirmation, where I refer to it as this endorsement of that, and so therefore, 
as that scripture is saying, is that they're chosen by the Lord, therefore it is scripture. First Peter was that other uh, examination of, of where the, the prophets of old, and, and this, this affirmation of those that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to share the word. They were inspired writers of the word of God, and Paul was one of them. So, when you take these two paths of these two men were opposite, they, they were in this conflict in Galatians that ultimately, I believe, it, in my own words, it reflects this changed heart, this broken heart in acknowledgement of Peter. Paul was right. Paul, you know, he's saying the same things I'm saying. Nothing different. The teachings of Paul, they don't disagree with those of Peter. When you look at the parallel of the the passages, look at the parable theme, the parallel themes of both of these writers, it's perfect to the same messaging. Peter indicates that Paul was writing as one that was supernaturally gifted by God with information and insight from which we need to learn. A couple of passages that we're looking at. Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 7. Someone want to read that? This cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles, have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me, to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me, as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge and the mistrust which in other ages was not made known unto as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Dials should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of this promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given by the effectual working of his power. Essentially saying that Paul was specifically designated for this ministry that he received from God specifically. I mean, you can just see that how he keeps repeating this. this. This dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me. According to the gift of God, the grace of God given to me in verse 7. He became this minister. So, he was supernaturally gifted by God for this very specific purpose. With information, these mysteries... And this mystery, one specific example of the mystery is Jews and Gentiles. <laughs> that was a mystery to them up to this point. They, they couldn't reconcile that, even within the context of this time that, that he's writing this letter. And so he's saying, listen, these are what's, what we've got from it. Now, it's interesting is that when you look at, um, when he would say that if you just look at the dates, for example, of this, when, when Peter would write, according to the wisdom given to him, this is this grace given to him. That's what that reflects. Has written to you. So when he says that he has written to you, what does that tell you? The readers. What does that tell you about the readers? They're, they know. They've read his letters. That's what that means. And if you look at the dates of when likely... Peter wrote Second Peter and First Peter. They, Paul already had his letters written. These churches had those letters. These believers, these Jewish believers, primarily even that were he was writing to, specifically had this. And so it was this 
specific ministry that he had had and basically info that God had entrusted, this information that's been entrusted to uh, Paul. So these are just, you know, the whys. And, and I, you, you know, it's a long stretch in this thing, but it goes back to what Squally would say. When you look about, you think about the fact is, is that your path. You know, what, what is your path? And you know how God ordains and sovereignly works through these in opposite paths even, ultimately for us. And so when I would make an opening statement to say is, is that I appreciate it, it's like Paul by Peter writing this, our beloved, and this beloved is, is, is termed, it's sincere. I don't believe he's just saying, you know, Paul is a good guy. He was right. He's not saying it that way. It's, 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 you see this aspect of deep, sincere love for Paul. That can only be the outworking, the outflow of a heart for God. It's the Spirit of God. Because of the very same focus in attention. In other words, he's saying it's the same message. I think a significant word in all of this is mm. there was not a conscious choice by either Paul or Peter. It was a gift given by God to each person. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. Second Timothy three verse sixteen. Peter tells us that Paul wrote some things that are hard, hard to understand. And it appears that the things that we've seen, the consistency, as I keep going back to say, well, what has he been talking about in his letter? The things, if you were to describe those, all along in chapter one, he's been talking about this salvation. He's been talking about in chapters two and three about this second coming. He's been talking about then what does it look like in your life, your conduct, your pursuit of godliness. It is the outworking of our salvation that we see specifically in our own lives. So that is the these things that he's saying. Paul wrote about the very same things. Didn't he? You can, you can find all the passages. You go through, and, and each one of these is the main focus of Paul's writings. So what do you think by this phrase that he says, that Paul writes, as also in all the epistles, speaking to them with these things, in which some things are hard to understand? What do you think he was referring to by that statement? Never existed before. But if nobody knew what it was, all illumination of the church that is everything someplace in that vicinity I think specifically in the context it's exactly what he's at what happens sometimes from an interpretation standpoint we would just say is that boy that passage is too hard to understand I, I don't get it and, and I believe that when Peter would say that is that Paul writes some things that are hard to understand so you, you look at it in the context and I think I believe that that really is what he's focusing on is that what is one of these mysteries what is one of these difficult things that Peter's followers might still be in that path of this native Jews this borderline legalism that might still be resident there they're going to say that is hard to understand see him Mm-hmm. I uh, in one of the 
trying to remember that. Someone might say, well, maybe it's because Paul would write things that were just you know, hard to track with him. Peter wrote that way too. Uh, what I'm going to submit is that, like for example, let's say as a student, and I'm trying to figure out was what does he mean that Jesus went down <laughs> to the pit, you know, and was triumphing and trying trying to figure this out. That, that that was hard to understand. Peter wrote that. It is that very simple. It is this hard to understand, and he gives us a very very important thing to grab hold of as it relates to those challenging things. Go back to 16. As also in his epistles, speaking in them these things in which are some things hard to understand, comma, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. The first thing that we need to, to recognize there is this. It is not what is taught that is hard. It is the person that is unstable and untaught that can't understand it. Does that make sense? But at that time, not very many people educated. Out of people that they didn't have schooling, very rich. They didn't have study Bibles. <laughs> You're right, Marlene. And that is why he quickly says is that these false teachers, they just jump on that. And they're going to quickly to distort that because they're going to say, now, listen, you, we're not going to talk about judgment today. But we're going to talk about the love of God. It's just so sweet. It's wonderful. But we're not talking about it. Mm. Mm. Truth and truth. Mm. So we go back to that main objective. And what he's saying, it's got to be the Word. And so Peter is basically saying, look, this plays a, a key role. It is the vital role in the life of a Christian. And I'm not going to go through the sequencing here, but just look at the, the, the trail. These are starting back in his first letter of chapter chapter one, First Peter one, and each of these references here specifically points to the importance of the Word of God in the life of the believer. They're all, that's the common theme that you see in each of those. So he warns that the false teachers will arise and they will distort. It's a will, and so this untaught and the unstable that they use the hard things Paul has written about. Why? Because they're easy to distort. And we saw that contextually with the very influences that it had had even in Peter's life and thus the confrontation in Galatians. And so what is the motivation for these false teachers? What motivates them? Pride? Greed? And and, and I'll add to yours is that when I think of pride, so what's the pride? Pride might be a following. Right. In other words, uh, if I have a lot of people that are following, that I'm, it's it's like well, it's obviously because of the success of what I'm saying, the words that I'm saying. Anything self-serving, self-indulgence type stuff. Anything to be lead astray. I think from the really true, but almost the presenting work issue. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, therefore, we're going to we're not even going to talk about that today. So let's talk about. What else, whatever else you want to talk about today, I'll work it in. Greatly appreciate they start pressing on and, and you get right for it. And then comes that accountability. They, don't want, they, want, they want to stay here. I want to just stay with the law. Loves me, everything I do. It puts a sense of effort now, flesh, 
pressing on for something that, like, you know, as you're growing and not even agree with in your flesh. Like, I know there are things that matters, but my mind knows God's not pleased. Pressing myself down. Mm. That's discipline and effort, being held accountable, but I know pleases. Ask just, oh God, but he also wants. Talk about a little bit about that concept of what do we do with ourselves in reaching out to people as I've gotten older. My greatest desire now, when I pray for me, and, and when I end the day feeling successful in denying my sinfulness and pursuing my holiness, I now take great joy in that. I didn't want to did with that, because I don't get to decide that. But it's in the pleasure of knowing that I'm trying to view Christ is in me. You know, you know Absolutely. And my joy is in that now, not in an outcome, what I produce from that. But I'm growing and being satisfied in mm. I know that I'm... And I think he takes us to this um, when he ends this with from the standpoint of this uh, that we would grow in this grace and knowledge. That reflect that to me is a reflection of growth and maturity in Christ because you do have the proper perspective. We, we don't we don't like rejection. I mean, you think about Paul. Paul went into the cities to get and he got rejected because he preached the gospel. He got beat up. The culture today is, is, is that okay, well, we're going to teach us stuff that's not going to cause you to reject, be rejected by anyone, that you're more accepted um, for things. And that's just examples of the subtleties, the types of things that we see. So when we go back to this, this untaught and unstable, it means this of not only having proper instruction and not firmly grounded, grounded in the Word. And again, there's, there's just some more passages, just for time's sake, not to go through um, all of these. But it specifically talks about this aspect of being, you know, being grounded. And remember, where he he acknowledged, and I think it was the Second Peter chapter one. If you look, go back to that Second Peter chapter one, um, in verse twelve, it says, "For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you what." You know and are established in the present truth. His readers were grounded and yet still needed the reminders. That's important to be mindful of. The unstable in this place, all other really, is the unbelievers as well. But it can reflect on both sides, essentially, or the you know, other words, because those are the ones that are prone to these challenging understandings. So when the false teachers distort the Word of God, they do it to their own destruction. The Word of God is life. Um, just a couple of, you know, the uh, passages in Romans uh, ten seventeen. faith comes from hearing, hearing the Word of, of God. You know, um, the passage that I just, you know, from a, just a, a reminder standpoint for us, I really love the, the Second Timothy passage, 2.15. And I believe in many ways it, it does reflect at the heart of what we believe in our own church here, where Paul writes to Timothy, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to, to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of hearers. Be diligent to present yourself, yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does that mean? 
there's that diligence again. There's this work, this effort, this command for us to do that. It's to be a student of the Word, to be serious about it, to be reverent of the Word itself. And that in that, uh, there's a determination that almost comes with it in here. And so this really is at the heart of the Word of God. And I believe that that's been at the core of our church as far as it being this, the Word itself and for the very purpose of equipping these saints for the work of service. The Holy Spirit does the work. It prepares this knowledge. Second, second Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, and I, I have it tagged. I can read it to you. 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But it, but First uh, Corinthians chapter two verses nine and ten. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So the Spirit prepares the heart for this knowledge, for this understanding. And so as he closes this in verses 17 and 18, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, since you know it, what these false teachers are doing, what their motives are, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. And so he tells us to be on guard and that we need to be able to discern those who twist God's word. As forewarned, those who twist Scripture are going to arise. We see that specifically in Second Peter 2, verses 1 and 3, as well as in Acts 20, where it says that savage wolves will, will come up from within the body itself. And so what is this call for discernment? I love in, in Acts chapter 17, just be like the Bereans. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it said... These, uh, when, the, when the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. This, this searching of the scriptures is this word like examining. And, and the, 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 like the legal for a type of description of, of like examination is this like this judicial judicial type of investigation. It is digging into the word in itself, and this is this call for us. It goes back to the Second Timothy two passage, uh, fifteen, to be diligent, to be approved by God, uh, to be students of the word. And so, what are some of the subtle spiritual errors of our day that we need to be on guard against? Any. Couple of thoughts here as we close this out. You can keep listing a lot, all those topics, throw legalism in there, passivity, a lot of different things, and they all then just filter up to these very simple core things that Peter is teaching on here. These false teachers, this denial of this judgment, and what do we want to hear? What do you, would you? like to hear? What would I like to teach? What don't I... Those are the subtle things that really become these spiritual errors that do do surface within the church. And so, the call is for us to be actively uh, pursuing God. Godliness is 
personal spiritual growth. I'm kind of running out of time in here. These, some of these passages are really, I think, at the core where you know, he gets specifically at Peter in Second uh, Peter 1. This is how he started this letter. Second Peter 1, where he, again, starting, but also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. And so these are just simply this description and supporting passages for this pursuit of godliness and spiritual growth. Building that foundation that we are already established, grounded in truth, is really what Peter had referenced this. And how can we know if we're growing spiritually and what are some biblical tests for growth? Thoughts? For example, it's like there's a thirst and a hunger for, for the word that it's this dear panting, you know. In other words, we're, we we got to have it, and you know it when you're not, when you when you don't have it. And I think that's certainly a sign. And does not God, the Holy Spirit, always honor that pursuit? You know, in in a way that is just it is just brings you this peace that Peter describes in this that describes this pursuit of godliness and you know that we're not there. And it is so fitting, it is so fitting that he closes this letter with this doxology, you know, with this call for believers to worship God and to give him the glory now and in eternity. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen, so be it. This now is today, it's the present, and when it says forever, this is this continued focus on His second coming, ultimately for the completion of salvation to be done in eternity. And so it points us to this deity of Christ and just some fitting verses to just to wrap around that as we close. And so these are for yours to take with you um, and to just ponder and think through. How do you live in the light of, of someday entering into eternity and living forever in the day of God? This is this day of eternity. The new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness eternally dwells. How do you live in light of that? It's just a thought for you to take with you. And how specifically did God use this study in Second Peter chapter? 1, 2, and 3 that we've gone through to teach us, to train us, encourage us, convict us, challenge us. You know, um, as one that's, that's gone through the whole first and second, it's we could talk for weeks on this, the key takeaways from it. But as you go through and, and read through the study again, read through the chapters again, going back to First Peter, and begin to ask yourself some of these things, and, and you have connection points through that. So, just as we kind of close this in prayer, does anyone want to share a final thought on any of these last two points? Well, it's been a privilege. It's been, Mark and I have appreciated so much um, the, the privilege to be able to um, share in God's Word with you um, in these two great, great letters um, from Peter. And I know that uh, there's going to be a, a break 
of the Sunday school hour, quick hour for the, the summer coming up, and then we'll resume in the, uh, the fall or August or September. And uh, so we'll look forward to that time of fellowship uh, together again. But uh, Mick, could I ask you to close this in prayer? Let's join together in prayer. Amen. Thank you. Next week, yes, we are correct.